0: Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 78, Psalm 78. As we turn to God's Word, the words of the song we sung earlier ringing in my heart, I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. And with that confidence, we open God's Word to see his goodness and his greatness and be nourished and strengthened by it. Psalm 78 and verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them, to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Lord, keep your promise to us. And we will see your goodness in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this this afternoon I'm presenting the first of two messages under the title, The Coming Generation. These two messages uh, are going to be called, first of all today, Come Let Us Dazzle Them, and then next week, Parental Vows, not Parental Vows. But vowels, you'll have to come and figure out what that means next week. I begin to uh, this couple of messages by making sure that we understand that the coming generations, our children and our children's children and our children's children's children, and on and on it goes, the coming generations matter. They matter significantly. To God, And they are an essential part of our identity and our calling as the people of God. Look at Psalm 78, verses 5 through 7. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them, to their children so that they should set their hope in God. Note, notice God's concern here for coming generations and how far it reaches. There are four generations mentioned here in these verses. Our fathers deliver the truth to us, then we deliver it to our children, and then our children deliver it to their children. Children, this is multicultural or multi-generational faith. And it's consistent with what we find everywhere in God's word. When God calls us to himself, he doesn't just call us individually, he calls us in such a way that we are prepared and we are positioned to pass it on. We read of this in Deuteronomy 7 in verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. As an amazing text of Scripture, it means that so long as Jesus tarries and does not return... The message that we pass on to our children is in one way or another going to be passed on to the next generation, and then to the next generation, and then to the next generation, to a thousand generations. You see this put in a different way in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15 where God tells us his thoughts on divorce and how much he hates divorce. And what do we read in Malachi 2? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Why? Why does God want us to stay married? Why does God want us to stay faithful to one another as husbands and wives? Because He is seeking godly offspring. In Ezekiel 37, verses 24 through 26, God says, my servant David shall be king over them. And the servant David here is a foreshadowing of Jesus himself, the Messiah, the son of David. My servant David, Jesus, shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them, it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. God adds. In Isaiah 59 and verse 21, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. You getting the message? This isn't just Old Covenant and Old Testament, it's New Testament. Mary picks up the theme in the Magnificat in her song in response to the angel message that she would give birth to the Savior. She cries out in song, Luke 1, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And then we read in Acts chapter 2, where Peter on the day of Pentecost is, is calling people to faith, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. This is, this is a radical, focusing reality for the Christian we as believers are called we as adults whether we're married or not whether we have children or not we are called to impart to the next generation the heritage of God's truth of his glory and of his grace this is in some respects why we are here now The assumption is, of course, that parents will do this and grandparents will do this, but there is nothing in the text of Psalm 78 or anywhere in the Bible that suggests that it is just the job of parents and grandparents. It is the job of everyone who is older than someone. We are all called to hand on to the coming generation the truth of God and no vision for our church, Risen Hope Church, no vision for each one of our families or relationships is complete unless it has a clear vision for the future. A clear vision for coming generations. I am to live for those who will live beyond my lifetime. I am to live for coming generations. Now let me ask the question here this morning or this afternoon and again next week. How do we do that? How do we do that? And I'd like to answer it generally first of all and then more specifically over these couple of weeks. First of all, the, the answer to the question according to Psalm 78, how do we do this? How do we pass it on to the next generation? We dazzle them. We dazzle them with the glory and the majesty of God. If, if you want to know how to pass on your faith, adults, if you want to know how to most effectively win the hearts of your children and your grandchildren for Jesus, dazzle them with the glory of God. Give them a view of God that will be so full of splendor, so full of wonder, so full of awe that once they have seen it, they will be spoiled for anything else once they have seen it, they will want more of it, and more of it, and more of it. In this text, we are told that we are to teach. That's the the means by which we pass on God to the next generation. We see it throughout verses two through five I will open my mouth in a parable I will utter dark sayings from of old down to verse four tell it to the coming generation down in verse five teach this to your children according to Psalm 78 the means that God uses to pass on the truth of who he is to the coming generations is the teaching of It is the speaking, it is the instruction of the older generation. We are to utter dark sayings of old. We are to open our mouths with parables. We are to teach the coming generations. We are to tell them of God and His ways. Fathers, here this afternoon, this is your calling. You are called, dads, to teach your children the glory of God. Moms, this is why you're a mom. Give your kids a dazzling understanding of who God is. Teach them. Teach them. Now, what's the primary message if teaching is the means? What's the message? In one word, our message is God. Notice it, God God is our message. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation, listen to this, the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. What are we to communicate? What are we to tell to the coming generation? The glorious deeds of the Lord. We are to talk to our kids about the might of God. We are to communicate in word and in song the wonders that He has done. Ted Tripp, the author of um, Shepherding a Child's Heart, thank you. Has chosen the word dazzle to get this across. Listen to his encouragements to us today. Your teenagers and younger children are hardwired for worship, they go out every day looking to be dazzled. One of your most important tasks as a parent, and I would add as a Christian and as a church, is to give our teens this big picture of the glory of God. That's our job description. One generation will commend God's works to another. Did you realize, parents, did you realize, adults, that the children in this church and the children in our homes are hardwired for worship? they are programmed by God for worship. You say, that doesn't seem like my kid. But it is. Why is it that your children and mine find things awesome? Why is it that when they go to the theme park, the roller coaster has to be higher and wilder and crazier than last year's because kids are wired for the awesome. Why is it that concerts and shows every time they have to get a little bit flashier and a little bit glitzier and a little bit more smoke and a lot more noise and why? Because they have to somehow touch somewhere that sense of awe and wonder that is in every human heart our children are wired for worship. They are wired. They are made in such a way as to want to experience awe and wonder. And so are you. Isn't it true? It is for me. The, the happiest moments of my life are the awe moments of my life. I think I shared that just recently, it's, it's in those moments where my jaw drops, my eyes bug out, my ears just say, whoa, my, my tears begin to flow because I have just seen something or heard something that was incredible. Because I'm wired for the incredible. I am made to worship. And Ted Tripp says we need to understand that. We need to not necessarily condemn our children for all the things that they say are awesome that aren't really that awesome, but let's build on the reality that they are hungering and thirsting for the awesome and let us give them the one who is truly awesome so that their instinct for worship can be satisfied. Now, of course, this assumes that we are having dazzled glimpses of God ourselves. Ted Tripp says again, if we are going to hold this vision out for the coming generations, then we have to be dazzled by God ourselves. You can't give away what you don't have. We have to be people who continually keep God before us. We must interpret our lives through the lens of the glory and wonder of who He is. We need to be people who are dazzled ourselves so that our hearts overflow with the wonder of the glory of God. Here is our task, brothers and sisters. Here is our calling in serving the coming generations. And can I say this to you? point blank, flat out, blunt, you got no more important task as a dad or as a mom than to give to your children a dazzling view of God. This is more important than their education. This is more important than the latest fads and clothes. This is more important than dance class. This is more important than karate. This is more important than soccer. This is more important than family vacations and all the things we spend and consume our money and time and energy on. This is most important. That we live in such a way in relationship with God that we are tasting the glory of God and have something of that to give to to our children. We cannot be in our passing on of our faith. We cannot be primarily concerned to give them morality. We cannot be primarily concerned to give them justice. To even give them forgiveness and salvation. We need to give them a view of the majesty of God. Nothing else is going to satisfy them. Nothing else is going to capture their hearts. There's too many things out here competing, folks. For you, just to give your kids morality, no, your children need to know that there is a God of wonder. There is a God of glory. And you know that God. And you want them to know that God too. That's what they need. We must hold back on the imperatives and the commandments until we have filled our children with an awestruck awareness of the reality of God and His beauty. We must tell them who God is before we tell them what God demands. We are not doing it correctly if we simply give them John 3.16. Or bring them to promised kingdom. Or even tell them that Jesus died for them. We must give our children God. In all of His majesty and beauty. And as we look at this text, we see that there are several aspects to this. We must dazzle the coming generation with the mighty deeds of God. Notice this in verse 4 again. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. And this psalm, Psalm 78, goes on, to recount what those mighty deeds, many of them, were. The Red Sea is parted and manna is sent from heaven and storms are stirred up against the enemies of God and plagues are sent and deliverance is provided and marvels are performed and nations are subdued and enemies defeated and sins are punished and mercies are shown. These are the mighty deeds of God. Read the Old Testament and the New and fill up your mind mind and heart with the glory of God's mighty deeds and then pass it on to your kids. Pass it on to your kids. Do you have a catalog in your own mind, first of all, of the mighty deeds of God in Scripture, which is history, and then the mighty deeds of God in your own life? Too often we we do not even see these mighty deeds in our own life. We don't notice them. We think our lives are mundane. Our lives are ordinary. Folks, God is doing mighty, marvelous things every day. Every day. In in nature and in the the glory and beauty of creation. Just just open your eyes. And when you're with your kids, when that sunset comes along and you're driving with your kids, say, hey kids, look at that. My God, your God did that. There's a mighty deed of God. Or when God provides for you in amazing ways. When God intervenes in your life just at that point where it feels as if it's all going to come apart and suddenly He's there. And suddenly He puts His hand around you and His arms around you and He says, You're mine, I've got you. I've got you. The times when he does things that just take your breath away. It was back in 2005. My, my dad had just died. We were up in New England uh, for his memorial service. And uh, it was New Year's weekend. And Gaylene can tell this story better than I can, but I'll try to give it to you as good as I can here this afternoon. Um, it was after my dad's service and, and uh, we were back at, uh, my, with my mom in her home and there were, 50, what was it, 52 children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren there. It's, the house was crazy and it was, it was wonderful, glorious. But uh, Galen late in the evening or 9, 10 o'clock in the evening, wanted to go out for a New Hampshire walk. Now, a New Hampshire walk around the block. The block is about a mile long, and it's cold, and it's snowing. And My sister Linda said, hey, I'll go with you, and so they go out for a walk. They go around the block, and I don't know, about a halfway around the block, Galene slips and falls, and uh, she's okay. She gets up. She finishes the walk around the block, and the next day, we are getting ready to go home, and uh, so we're look- I'm looking for the keys to pack up the car, and uh, can't find the keys, and we look everywhere in this house, everywhere in this house, and we needed the keys. We didn't have any spare keys, so the only way to get home was with that set of keys, and it was a holiday weekend, and so uh, there wasn't going to be any, um my brain is really tired here. Locksmith. Thank you. This is actually, I do that on purpose, just so you're drawn in to help me out. This is participatory here, all right? And and, uh, there wouldn't be any locksmith available for a couple of days. And and one of our sons had booked a flight for California uh, the next day or something like that. So we had to get home, couldn't find the keys anywhere. Galene remembered after about, I don't know, an hour of looking around So said, I wonder if when I fell out in my walk last night in the middle of that snowstorm, whether maybe the keys fell out of my pocket. Now understand, a foot of snow had fallen. And so Galene and I went walking around the block and we get to the point where she had fallen and we noticed that everything is plowed. So it's not just a foot of snow, there's two to three feet of snow we walk up, Galen sees it, there's the sparkle of the key, it's kind of shining out of the snowbank, and you say, how in the world did that happen? This is my Father's world. This world belongs to my God and my Father. That happened because in that moment of grief, in that moment of stress, in that moment of need, we needed a signal from God that He loved us. And we've carried that with us to this day, almost 15 years later. We need to notice these things. They happen. They've happened in your life this week. You probably just didn't notice them. But we must have a catalog. We must must chronicle the wonderful deeds of God. We must know that God is alive and active in our lives. We need to dazzle them with the mighty deeds of God. We need to dazzle them with the Word and law of God. Notice verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. We need to dazzle our children with the law of God. Say, How in the world are laws and rules dazzling? Well, they're dazzling if you understand that the laws of God are reflections of the character of God. So when you, when you read the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, what you're really hearing there is that there is one and only one true and living God. And, and when you hear the second commandment, which is you shall not make any graven image, what you're really hearing is not just a prohibition about idols and images. What you're really hearing is this God is so amazing. God is so astonishing that nothing that a human being could ever create by means of art or artistry could ever even begin to capture his beauty. So don't even try. And when you hear to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, That isn't just some kind of legalistic rule. That's God saying, I love you so much that I give you permission to take a day off. And I want that, he is saying, to be a reminder of the day that's coming that will be an eternal Sabbath, an eternal rest. And when you read the commandment, honor father and mother, You're not just hearing a generational commandment, you're hearing through imagery and words the reality that God himself is our Father, whom we are to honor. When you hear, when you hear the commandment, you shall not murder. What are you really hearing you are hearing that God is the author of life and the sustainer of life and the keeper of life and life is precious because he is life and when you hear you shall not steal you're not just hearing oh don't take things You're hearing really that God is a generous God. He is a God who gives and gives and gives. He is not a taking God. He is a giving God. And when you hear, do not bear false witness. What are you hearing? Not just don't lie. You're hearing love the truth and honor the truth and bear witness to the truth. And when you hear, don't covet. What are you hearing? Not just, hey, buck up and be satisfied. What you're hearing is God say to you and to me, I am enough for you. If you have me, you have all you need. That's how you dazzle God with the law of God. You let our children know, dazzle your children with the That's how you dazzle your children with the law of God, by letting them see that the law is a window into the beauty of God and the character of God. We must dazzle them with the mighty works of God. We must dazzle them with the law and truth of God. We must dazzle them with the astonishing mercies of God. Look at verse 21. Therefore, Psalm 78 and verse 21, Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he, or but he, Even though they did not trust His saving power, even though they did not believe in God, even though they disobeyed time and again, He commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. The astonishing mercies of God gets even better. Verse 37, their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant, yet he, or but he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them He restrained his anger often and did not stir up his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. Did you you catch that phrase? He atoned for their iniquity. That is among the most amazing statements you will ever hear. God atoned for their iniquity. He didn't require atonement by them. He provided atonement for them. And brothers and sisters and friends here today, here is the mightiest deed of God. Here is the most dazzling portrayal of the character and the goodness and the greatness of God that He has atoned for our sins. That, that He has intervened. You need to understand, if, you, if, you, if this is not processed in your mind, God is a God of justice. He is a God of holiness. And that means, that means that if He is going to be just, if He is going to remain holy, He must take sin seriously. He has to hate sin. He can't be holy and not hate sin. Somebody who doesn't hate sin is not very holy. Part of holiness is you love what is good and you hate what is evil. And sin has to be punished if God is going to be just. And and just hear this, hear this. Either your sin, your sin will be punished in your experience, or it will be punished, atoned for through someone else's suffering. That's the only two ways. God is. In His holiness, He must punish every single sin that has ever been committed. Every sin has to be punished. He will either punish it in you and upon you in eternal judgment or He punishes your sins in Christ on the cross. He atones for your iniquity there is a mighty deed. That will dazzle you if you think about it and dazzle your children if we communicate it. Now, of course, it assumes that you know you're a sinner. If, if you think you're a good person and don't have anything to worry about and you can Kind of get there on your own and atone for your own sins. And, you know, the the scale, sometimes uh, there's a few things you do that tilt it in the wrong direction, but the good is just so overwhelming that that it just pops that scale up in the right direction, and you're okay if you're deluded that way. If you're deluded that way, then the gospel won't dazzle you. But if you know your own heart as I know my heart, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, and my heart turns cold in a heartbeat. That temptations and sins entice, that anger flares up, that fears can control, that unbelief and distrust of God can creep in and just just swallow up the mind and heart that, that I can desire things I should not have. I'm discontented with what I do have. If your heart is like mine and you live with an awareness, an awareness that you are a sinner, then this news will dazzle you. There is a sinless one who took your place. He atoned for your iniquity. Our children need to hear that. They need to be dazzled with that, which means that in part you're going to have to help them see the sinfulness of their own heart so that they can sense their need for Jesus. But then give them Jesus. Over and over, in song, in word, in testimony, in church, through promised kingdom, in every way you can, give them Jesus and dazzle them with God. There's so much more in this text. Don't have time for it all. Let me close with this. There are two great motives for giving the next generation this dazzling view of God. Those motives are the good of the coming generation and then the glory of God. First, the good. Why should we speak and sing and shine forth the glory of God to our children? Verse 7 says that we should so that they can set their hope in God. Our world is so broken, injustice and wrongdoing and bigotry and hatred and infidelity and addiction and bondage and all manner of brokenness are everywhere to be found. And even as adults, don't we have to fight for hope? Don't we have to fight for hope? Isn't, isn't it easy to be discouraged and brought to a, a place of despondency, a place of, of despair? How do we find hope? And how do we hand hope on to the next generation? We do it by dazzling them with God. Once they have caught a glimpse of the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the justice of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the salvation of God, the mighty deeds of God, once they have caught a glimpse that this God is full of beauty and full of wonder, they will have reason to hope. And our children need reason to hope. If they put their hope anywhere else, the hope will disappoint them. This is the only hope that will never fail. Give them eyes to see who God is. And then pray and pray and pray that God opens their eyes, that they might see him and set their hope in him. This is what we're called to. And, you know, I I realize that as parents or as grandparents or as singles who are just busy about life, we can be just that, right? Busy about life and forget what it's really about let us give to the next generation a dazzling view of God that means that we need to be dazzled and I want to encourage you to do the types of things that are needed to fill your gaze with God's glory so what does that mean read your Bible as close to every single day as you possibly can. And when you read your Bible, don't just read your Bible. Pray, Lord, I'm about to read your word. Show me your glory. Show me something of your beauty and your majesty. Show me, Lord, so that when I'm done reading this morning, I will know you better than when I started reading this morning, and I will feel like worshiping you. Read the Bible that way. When you walk outside, pause and look and wonder over God's creation. And when you pick up your little one or your grandchild and you just look into his face or her eyes and you see this little image bearer of God, take the time to bow and worship before the God in whose image that little one now exists. Make sure that you fill your days with conscious wonder, conscious praise. Only then will you have wonder to hand on to the next generation. Let us declare his praises to the next generation by seeing his praises and then singing them and celebrating them and giving them to our kids. Let's pray.